You take COVID seriously, but being safe isn't always comfortable. That's why we started MaskLink. MaskLink with a Y. Each stylish designer mask features eco-dry fabric to cool your face and features high-Q ViroBlock technology, making MaskLink 99.997% effective at reducing the risk of COVID. Order at MaskLink.com. That's M-A-S-K-L-Y-N-K.com. Order now with code FAM30 to save up to 30%. FAM30, short for family. F-A-M is in Mary, 30. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Here to set you free. Happy Tuesday. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back to the only true democracy in talk. Thank you for listening on radio stream podcast, watching on Twitter's Periscope, Facebook Live and YouTube Live. Um, Speaking of back and coming back, we're bringing back Catherine Gray. You may or may not remember that last week we had the producer, author, speaker and podcast host uh, who focuses to empower female entrepreneurs on the program. And we had some technical difficulties and you didn't get the full interview. I didn't get to do a full interview, so we said we got to bring her back. Catherine enjoys working on socially conscious projects that are impacting the world in a positive way. And after a successful career as the top account executive in the nation for a Miami-based cable advertising firm, she became a filmmaker and entrepreneur with a focus on making a difference, and that she is doing. Currently, she's working on launching a new original series for television called She Angels, covering the exciting journeys of female entrepreneurs who win funding and mentorship at the She Angels Pitch Fest. And this is in part of creating a global initiative to fund women around the world. In addition to this endeavor, she recently co-founded the creation of the She Angels Foundation, and that's to further the efforts in generating a fund to support female founded nonprofits that are helping women. We had Catherine on last week uh, for Giving Tuesday um, to uh, talk about that organization and more, but we didn't get to the end more why we're going to have her on today. By the way, to support the Women's Empowerment Vision, she hosts the podcast series Invest in Her. This is a weekly live broadcast on YouTube, iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, and other popular podcast networks. And every week, she interviews phenomenal female founders and funders. The purpose of the show, to discuss ways to accelerate the funding of women and provide resources and inspiration to her listeners. Now, the website for her foundation, check it out, sheangelsfoundation.org. On Twitter, the handle for her film series is at sheangelsseries. Check that out as well. We're glad to have back uh, Catherine in the house. Catherine Gray, thank you for coming back with us and uh, no tech issues today. Welcome back. Yeah, let's hope. <laughs> Leslie. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sure we're, we're probably not the first ones uh, using Skype or Zoom to have a, a dropout. So uh, I do on national television all the time. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens. Oh, well, uh, the good news is that uh, I got to come back and visit with you again, which is always a pleasure. Um, so they just dropped, uh, since I saw you, uh, my TED Talk just came out called yes. uh, Fund Women, Save the World. 
And I uh, didn't expect it to be out so soon, but they released it this week. And uh, it's basically about what everything I do I- is about. And that is that we need more women investing in women. Uh, I think I mentioned last time that uh, you and I both know that, you know, we get less than 3% of capital uh, funding from venture capital um, and less than 15% of traditional funding. And it's just so out of whack. And so my mission with everything I'm doing, uh, every platform you just mentioned, is all around the idea of how do we fix this uh, underfunding problem and how do we level the playing field so that men and women each get their share, fair share of funding. And I love your producer, Mark, who just showed me his two adorable uh, daughters and that he said he wants this kind of world that we're talking about where women are equally funded for his kids. And I love him for that. And I think that, you know, we just need more men out there that want to get behind their daughters and sisters and wives and friends, because uh, I think that most people like Mark, most men understand that the world will be a better place if we have uh, the ideas and inventions and cures that women bring to the table. Um, One of the things I mentioned in my TED Talk is how many inventions have been created by women throughout history that have impacted the world in a major way. Um, You know, some of the ones that come to mind are are that, you know, women created uh, uh, central heating. Hello. Uh, The electric refrigerator, uh, car heaters, uh, you know, fire escapes, uh, Uh, Computer programming, one of the uh, women uh, was one of the major founders of computer programming. Uh, Of course, Madame Curie that, uh, you know, modern day x-rays, thanks to her. So there are so many ideas and inventions being left on the table because they're not being funded. And so that's why uh, I am so passionate about this. And everything I'm working on uh, is how do we get more women to become angel investors and how do we get more men to get behind uh, women entrepreneurs. Uh, I recently had on my invest in her podcast, um, uh, one of the managing partners of golden seeds, which is one of the largest angel investment groups in the country that does focus on funding women. So there are more and more angel investor groups popping up out there with a focus on women, not nearly enough. Uh, they certainly need to build their membership. Um, but they do focus on getting behind businesses that are led by women. Uh, maybe they're founded, maybe they're the CEO, but they're led by women. And, um, you know, I think that's a great thing that the Golden Seeds is doing. Uh, if somebody's out there and they're thinking, hey, I'd like to educate myself on how to be an angel investor, there are groups like that one that you can go to and they literally educate you on how to become an angel investor. And I think that's one of the greatest services that they provide uh, and I always say, what what could be more interesting than learning about all the new innovative ideas that are coming out in technology and healthcare and science and and whatever? Uh, who doesn't want to know about that? I I know I do. You know, almost oh, so, definitely. You know, two women that come to mind that were housewives and kind of by accident uh, ended up. Well, one didn't end up creating things. One created an empire by accident, and another created something. And that's Mrs. Fields Cookies. She used to just bake cookies for her kids' uh, school bake sale. People were like, these cookies are so good, I'd pay for them. Then they started buying her cookies, and we know how that ended up being a franchise. Um, But I want to point out, to your uh, point, 
Um, she didn't have people coming to her giving money until they saw them in almost every mall throughout the United States. It, it, and, and she did that all herself. Another woman is, and I thought I, I thought I had invented the post-it note. I think I did, but somebody else took credit. But because <laughs> I used to I used to cut squares of paper and tape the back because I'm I'm a list person and I write everything down. I drive people crazy. I still do too. even this. Yeah, I'm a list person too. <laughs> yeah, see, we, one of the reasons we get along so well, right? Well, Mike Nesbeth from the Monkees, his mother in Cambridge, Massachusetts, she worked from home as a housewife to make extra money typing envelopes. The more she typed, the more she made. But she kept making mistakes. So she concocted this um, flour and water mixture to paste onto the envelope to type over and she invented whiteout. Um, so oh these are just, yeah, these are just, you know, they're just two examples though of how women's creativity and, uh, and ingenuity um, have changed our lives, whether it's with our taste buds with Mrs. Fields cookies or something that many of us used and some of us still use kids do use and you still can find it everywhere, which is whiteout. But again, when you look at the gap um, in the inequity um, and that unmet potential uh, and economic growth uh, for our nation. Um, look, right now, it, the time is ripe for this because you have more women running and winning uh, political races on both sides of the aisle, Democrat and Republican. Uh, you have more women voting than ever before. Women do hold up half the sky. They're the majority of the population in many nations throughout the world. Um, the times are changing. They're voting in Saudi Arabia for crying out loud. But still in the United States, where we should be leaders and progressive with regard to women's issues, we still have this nearly 98% gap in funding for women-led uh, startups. Are we starting to see changes in that or starting to see changes in that number? You know what? I hate to tell you, but uh, I read during COVID that it's actually gotten a little worse. Oh. And, and, you know, uh, women that are, you know... Uh, more impacted by COVID because of having to take care of kids and having to educate their children at home. And uh, they seem to be more impacted by it. Uh, but uh, one of the things I will say is that's why my crusade is about women investing in women is because it is the way that we're going to change this. Of course, we want men to invest in their daughters and wives, like we said, and their friends. Um, but the bottom line is, is that Research shows people tend to invest in people they identify with. And that means there needs to be more women at the table. Now, it could even be one woman at the table with five other men. And I've right. had I've had angel investor women tell me if they have at least one woman like themselves, they were able to convince the other men why they should invest in this woman's idea. Because often it will be something that a woman would identify with. Maybe it's something that, you know, is good for mothers or you know, for uh, single women or, you know, whatever, but, and, and the men don't identify with it. But if there's a, at least one woman on the investment panel, it does make a difference. Uh, so that's why I say more women need to become angel investors. You know, they don't want to do something that they don't understand. And I can perfectly understand that. But you can go to somewhere like goldenseeds.com or Google angel investment groups in your area and go learn it. And, right. you know, we all need to keep learning, so why Absolutely. not Absolutely. We have yeah. to take a quick break. We'll be right back with you, Catherine. Don't go away. We'll be back. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. I say, who to me, you got some coordination. I say, okay, ladies, now let's get information. I say, okay, ladies, now let's get information. 
We are back with Catherine Gray, producer, author, speaker, and podcast host. Like I said, the website for her foundation is sheangelsfoundation.org. And on Twitter, the handle for her film series is at sheangelsseries. Thank you for returning with us. And Catherine, thank you for holding in uh, and welcome back. Um, uh, I want to ask you, now that Kamala Harris, who is a woman, and we're finally getting a woman in the White House and a woman of color is going into the White House, do you think this will help yours and other entrepreneurs who are female and trying to get funding for female businesses? Do you think it will help? Oh, I absolutely think so. Anytime you have a woman at the top in a major capacity, it's going to help bring others along uh, in every industry. And, um, you know, we're launching a new show in January uh, online called uh, She Angels. And uh, it's following our pitch fest where we have uh, winners of where women investors are investing in female entrepreneurs. And then we follow their journeys. And it's something we're looking to launch on a network. And uh, we're launching this online in January. So the She Angels series, uh, people can watch out for that. And everything that we're doing is actually at SheAngelInvestors.com. And She Angel Investors houses everything that we're doing, the, the Pitch Fest in series, uh, the Invest in Her talk show, which is our podcast, um, and also our uh, She Angels Foundation that you just mentioned. Uh, so on the nonprofit side, our She Angels Foundation is wonderful because we invest uh, with grants in female-founded nonprofits that are helping women. And people can become members. So there's so many ways that women can help women. One way is uh, to become a member of She Angels Foundation. And, um, you know, uh, the membership is totally tax deductible and goes 100% to the grants that help female-founded nonprofits. Like I said, they're helping women. Uh, a couple of the ones we just did uh, was one that um, is called... Um, Chefs for Humanity that helps, uh, you know, train a, a woman chef to own her own business. Uh, that's run by Chef Kat Cora, who was the first winner of the Iron Chef on television and first woman inducted in the Hall, Culinary Hall of Fame. I think we talked about that last week. Yeah. And then another one is called Hope Gardens uh, that helps uh, women that are fleeing domestic violence to have a place to live and get back on their feet. And it helps house them and their children and educate them and help them get back in the workforce. So uh, the money is put to good use. It's sheangelsfoundation.org. I started that with my uh, co-founder, Catherine Curry Williams, who uh, her and her husband, Scott Williams, started She Angels, uh, excuse me, Shane's Inspiration about 20 years ago. Uh, super successful uh, foundation that uh, builds playgrounds for yes. handicapped children. Um, and I've been all to over Shane's the Inspiration Playground in, down in Griffith Park here in Los Angeles when my kids were little, and I thought it was uh, awesome. My mother is retired but used to work with uh, terminally ill and uh, handicapped and fragile, medically fragile children, many of which in wheelchairs or with respirators. Uh, and uh, it was, it, I have to say, it brought a tear to my eye. I drove by it. I had heard about it, read, looked it up, read about it, and went back when my kids were little simply because I wanted them to be a part of and to interact with children who were not able-bodied so that they could see there are different kinds of children, that they are lucky uh, to be fully able-bodied, and so that the children who need to use a place uh, and didn't have a place before, like Shane's Inspiration, could interact with um, children so that it wouldn't be that stigma for those children attached. Uh, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know they, I know her name. I know some of her background. I didn't realize that she and her husband had done Shane's inspiration. 
Yes. And so you can tell from that explanation that uh, Kat is amazing, wonderful co-founder for She Angels Foundation. Uh, after doing that for 20 years and it's uh, still super successful, Shane's inspiration continues to flourish. Uh, she wanted to come over and help me start something that was to empower women because she's always been all about that. She uh, did her Women with a Purpose um, conferences when I was doing my Live, Love, Thrive conferences. She was also one of the first women angel investors on my She Angel series and at the Pitch Fest. So she's actually featured in the She Angel series. And I'm super lucky to have her as a co-founder uh, for the foundation. Um, and uh, the other side of it is, of course, uh, that people can, you know, uh, become a member there and 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 help the nonprofits. But like I said, the other side of it is becoming an actual angel investor. And so we just need more women angel investors. And that's what uh, SheAngelInvestors.com is all about. It's providing resources and connections of how can you get out there and learn how to be uh, an angel investor and get in this exciting world of getting behind women. Um, you know, I mentioned to you before that, you know, we control more than 30% of all the wealth in the world. This is trillions of dollars. So we as women are in a position to invest in other women. We just have to educate ourselves on how to best do that. And the cool thing is not only is it fun and wonderful and a, and a, 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 a great, thing to do just kismet wise to invest in another woman, but it can be lucrative. I mean, yeah. you know, who doesn't want to get behind, uh, you know, the, like you said, the, uh, cookie woman or, or the Spanx woman or whoever yeah. has the next big, great idea, you know, you could be a part of that. You could have an interest in that and help make it possible. So I always say, you know, if you don't have that big, great idea yourself, invest in someone who does what an exciting right. journey that is. Oh, I, yeah. no, abs absolutely. I want to ask you, because of your expertise, there are women who are listening to this or watching this um, who might have a great idea. Uh, they want to know, what do I do to get started to get those funds? But there are also people out there who have great ideas. They started out, but they want to take it to the next level. What advice do you have for those women? Well, uh, first of all, when you go to SheAngelInvestors.com, we have uh, a free giveaway. It's called Six F Ways to Fund Your Business, and they can put in their name and email and get that from us. And it tells you, because there are so many different ways to yeah. fund your business, uh, everything from crowdfunding to you know uh, angel investing, venture capital, just to name a few. And uh, that's really, I think, starting with educating yourself on which is the right path for you to find funding. There are at least six different ways to get funding. Educate yourself on all of them and decide which one is the best way for me to do it. Because if you really have a great idea and you really believe in it and you got that download, I always think if you get that download, you're meant to make that product or service or idea. And if you don't follow up on it, somebody else will. But uh, we all have a calling. And I believe, you know, people that have that great uh, gift of having a, a, an invention download, um, they should pursue that. They're meant to be doing that. That's their calling. I, I you know, this is my calling. I wish I had a download idea for a great invention or cure, but for me, it's just how do we level the playing field so that all of those things can be done. And in, in, in just less than 60 seconds, very briefly, do we as women, would we rather compete than collaborate? Are we standing in our own gender's way? 
I Well, obviously, some people are and some aren't. I think that there certainly are women that want to help other women, and there's a lot of groups out there that perpetuate that. Um, and then there's also people that, you know, they made it to the top and, and they didn't want to bring somebody along with them. They want to be the only person in the room. But, you know, I think that mentality is changing. I think people are understanding you actually prosper more in every capacity financially, spiritually, emotionally, when you're helping other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Catherine, thank yeah. you for coming back. Thank you for spending time. So glad there were no technical issues. Once again, guys, go to her website. Her foundation is sheangelsfoundation.org. Also on Twitter, follow her film series at She Angels Series. And uh, if you're looking for funding, go to these sites resources. If you want to give and help, whether you're a man or a woman, help another woman out and change this Nearly 98% of the money going to men. Do it and do it now. Thank you, Catherine. I'm Leslie Marshall. Quick break. And we have a second guest on the other side. Don't go away. And we're back. And we're glad to have him back. He is Colonel Cedric Layton. He is founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates. They're a strategic risk and leadership consultancy serving global companies and organizations, which he founded the company in 2010. But prior to that, he served in the U.S. Air Force for 26 years as an intelligence officer and attained the rank of colonel. Colonel Layton can also be seen regularly on CNN, where he is a military analyst. The colonel's Twitter handle is at Cedric Layton, that's C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. The website, CedricLayton.com. Colonel, thank you for coming back with us. Always good to uh, see you. Thank you, Leslie. I appreciate it. It's always great to be back with you. Thanks so much. Uh, Colonel, let's talk about some recent uh, nominations. Uh, One I want to start with specifically uh, that Joe Biden has put forth, uh, nominating retired Army General Lloyd Austin uh, for defense secretary. This would be the first African-American, first black man uh, to be in this position. Um, But that aside, the diversity aside, there's pushback all over the place on this. Now, we know Republicans are going to push back on almost anybody Joe Biden picks. There was a time I'm old enough to remember when presidents could pick who they wanted for their cabinets. uh, And to, you know, but there are people out there. We even saw um, uh, Rhode Island Senator Jack Reed himself uh, and a Democrat um, who said this should be a civilian position. Now, as somebody who is a civilian now, but spent um, nearly three decades of his life, um, you know, within the military. Should the defense secretary, in your opinion, be a civilian position uh, because there's enough military minds in the Pentagon without the defense secretary being one? Well, yeah, you know, it's an interesting dilemma, Leslie, because on the one hand, you know, you want that fresh perspective. You want to those those new eyes that a civilian ostensibly could provide the military. And certainly it's very true that uh, the principle, the founding principle of the United States, one of the founding principles was that there be civilian control of the military. So from that standpoint, you know, it's very clear that uh, we that that's the desired end state, if you will, you know, when it comes to uh, these kinds of appointments. Now, uh, when you look at uh, you know the specifics of, of everything, you also need somebody who has uh, a degree of understanding of the military. Doesn't necessarily mean that they have to have served in the military, but they should definitely understand it. And um, you know, when it gets to when you get to the point of uh, you know being uh, you know wanting to pick a minority uh, person who has uh, you know served uh, in many capacities, uh, you uh, you have a very limited pool to draw from, and most of those people will have served in the military. Now, you could probably find some 
somebody who, uh, you know, has, has served, uh, you know, their service ended in the military uh, before the seven-year uh, cutoff point, uh, and that uh, that would be good if they had more than seven years, uh, you know, in, in civilian life. Uh, but it shouldn't be an ironclad uh, situation. There are certainly people who can, um, you know, make understand that they are civilians now, that they're no longer military people, and that they have to, you know, not only act differently, but they also have a different legal role. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fairly hopeful that General Austin is one of those people. Uh, but it is interesting because, uh, you know, with Senator Reid and, uh, you know, Senator Gillibrand and a few others, uh, you know, looking at this, they were very emphatic when General Mattis was made mm -hmm. Secretary of, of Defense under, under President Trump. They were pretty emphatic that they wanted uh, a bona fide civilian in charge of the military, but you also have to have somebody who understands the military and, frankly, who doesn't get snookered by the military as they as they become uh, you know, secretary of defense. Well, he is a, a, a four-star general, um, and uh, he, he, as former head of U.S. Central Command and Military Forces in Iraq, like I said, would be the first African-American who would be um, leading uh, the Pentagon. Um, you, you had mentioned uh, James Mattis. A lot of people forget it wasn't just Donald Trump who needed a waiver to bring in a military guy, but Harry Truman actually did the same back in the day. Um, so uh, actually, uh, uh, you know, General Austin would be the third that would require uh, such a waiver. It's not unheard of. But let's talk about, because he was in charge of military forces in Iraq, um, there are some areas, three areas in spe specifically, where Republicans and even some Democrats, are, especially the more liberal, uh, non-war-minded, pacifist-minded uh, Democrats, um, have concern. Right? Um, Iraq. Some people feel that it wasn't uh, the the that the pullout was um, was bad, uh, pulling out of Iraq during the Obama administration, of which um, the general was, you know, a part of and part of the decision making, and that that led to. Another organization rising, which is ISIS, and even though his spokesperson has said he never said ISIS was a flash in the pan, uh, we all see the video now uh, when he kind of you know alluded to there are probably a handful of these guys. Um, first of all, though, because of your background, um, Colonel, a lot of people before 9-11 felt Al-Qaeda was a handful of people and a flash in the pan. Am I, am I correct in that? Oh, absolutely, Leslie. And you know what's what's interesting about that is uh, you know beware of those so-called flashes in the pan. Uh, and uh, you know those organizations uh, can be very powerful, or at the very least, they can have great effect uh, beyond what their numbers might indicate. Uh, so you have to take all of them seriously, whether it's ISIS or Al Qaeda or you know even uh, cyber attackers, you know hackers uh, from other countries, you know to go into a different realm. Uh, those all of these things can be done by a very small number of people. And so threats come in, in various sizes, and some of them uh, can be quite lethal if you don't pay attention to them. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, especially in the five-sided building known as the Pentagon and, uh, uh, you know, in the White House and in, on Capitol Hill, quite frankly, often make the mistake that if uh, a threat uh, or a, a bad actor isn't, uh, you know, uh, made up of a lot of people or a powerful nation or something like that, they have the tendency to discount these 
these threats. And that's a very big mistake. You, we need to have uh, people in these positions, whether it's Secretary of Defense uh, or Secretary of State or even President of the United States, who understand that these threats can come from so many different areas. And uh, the one that you're ignoring may be ver may very well be the one that is actually going to cause you the most trouble. And uh, you have to uh, be very careful how you pick and choose, uh, you know, what your, uh, you know, what their threat uh, calculus is actually going to be. Uh, very true. So if, in fact, when he's sitting there, you know, uh, you know, being grilled in the nomination confirmation process, um, is the general um, Austin the right man for the job based on the fact that he uh, underestimated ISIS, uh, perhaps made some um, bad uh, advice to the president with regard to ISIS, who referred to them as uh, the JV team? at the time of then President Barack Obama. And, and, and also perhaps, you know, people feel that he, you know, made some miscalculations, uh, mishaps, mistakes uh, in Syria um, and uh, in Iraq. This is all going to be definitely, um, you know, put out there. Does that mean he is the wrong man for the job? Um, if yes, why? If no, why? Well, not necessarily. I mean, you know, hopefully people have learned from their mistakes. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's one of the key things that you have to look at. I think from a, you know, certainly from a representational standpoint, uh, you know, General Austin is an excellent choice uh, because it is good and it is necessary to have someone of his background be the Secretary of Defense. I think that's, that's really important. But when you get to the concrete issues of, uh, you know, is ISIS, was ISIS a threat, uh, could we have safely pulled out of Iraq and not have had ISIS at that particular moment in time? And the answer is probably no, because of all the uh, conditions that, you know, what the conditions were like on the ground there and the whole idea that, uh, you know, when you are a senior military officer, the advice that you give to a commander in chief uh, carries a lot of weight. And especially if you were the number one commander in that theater, like General Austin was, uh, then you, you have to be very careful. Uh, and I think, you know, we have to, as military people, we all have to guard against the idea that um, we are invincible, we as Americans are invincible. And I think we often suffer from that, thinking that, okay, we've won this conflict, we've done these things, we have great weapons, we have great people. All of this is true. Uh, the problem is the enemy also has uh, some very talented people, talented in a way that we don't like necessarily, uh, but uh, they can definitely countermand some of the things, uh, some of the desires that we have, some of the wishes that we have. and. Uh, you know, frankly, we have to be careful not to put on rose-colored glasses when it comes to threats like ISIS. And and that's where, you know, hopefully General Austin has learned uh, that uh, this is, you know, something that he has to be very careful of. And he also has to pay attention not only to the standard voices from the intelligence community, but also what's happening on the ground. So not just American sources of intelligence become important, but also allied sources of intelligence. And that's that's something where, uh, you know, he'll have to, you know, find uh, the solution, the, the kind of formula he needs in order to truly and adequately assess the threats that are out there. Yeah. And, you know, even though nobody wants the position to be political, there's a lot of politics leading up to it. I mean, Joe Biden had so many former um, uh, heavily starred uh, generals and admirals backing him. I'm not saying this is quid pro quo or payback, but you do have a lot of people that you have to please in a lot of boxes to check. You have the uh, you have the Congressional Black Caucus saying, hey, you have the Congressional, Congressional Hispanic Caucus saying, hey, 
you have the military brass who, you know, uh, pushed you saying, hey, yeah, probably have Barack Obama and some of those in the Democratic Party saying, hey, there's a lot to contend with. And especially if you know somebody and have worked with them before, uh, that holds uh, a, a lot of weight as well. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with you, Colonel. Colonel Cedric Layton, CNN military analyst, uh, a, a colonel nearly 30 years in our U.S. military and a great entrepreneur. We'll be back with us right after this. Don't go away. Somebody who was very political, much loved, much missed the music, the poetry, the lyrics, and the mind of John Lennon, uh, anniversary of his death uh, today. A lot of people talking uh, about where they were um, when uh, John Lennon uh, was shot. Well, let's go back to Colonel Cedric Layton, founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates. On Twitter, follow him at Cedric Layton. The website is CedricLayton.com. And prior to founding that company, uh, Cedric Layton Associates, he was an intelligence officer for 26 years. It is 40 years, not 30 years. See, I've, I've lost 10 years there uh, somewhere. Colonel, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Uh, we are talking about Biden, uh, Joe Biden, President-elect Joe Biden, uh, set to nominate retired General Army General Lloyd um, Austin. Uh, before the break, I had talked about um, the, the the politics in this. Do you believe, as somebody who had a very long, nearly 30 year, maybe that's where I get the 30 years, you nearly had 30 years uh, in the United States military, in the armed forces, if somebody is a military member and has military background, like, you know, at Mattis uh, with Trump in this position, or if confirmed uh, General Austin in this position, um, does it make it political because a civilian individual could also make it political depending on whom you select. Oh, absolutely, Leslie. Yeah, I think I think politics kind of goes with the territory of any cabinet position, but especially Secretary of Defense, because, you know, let's face it, uh, you know, just in simple issues like, uh, you know, where the production line is for the F-35 or, you know, something like that, that's, uh, you know, any weapon system brings with it uh, a jobs uh, tail with it, a logistical tail with it. And the manufacturing of a particular weapon system becomes important for certain members of Congress. Well, if that weapon system is going to be uh, produced in part in their district, uh, they want people that are going to help them uh, get jobs for their district or for their state. And uh, so, yeah, the whole the whole uh, system is inherently political, but um, it also has a the Secretary of Defense has a unique responsibility in that uh, they have to rise above that uh, th that political aspect of things. Yes, there's the part where you know you're helping a particular district or you're helping a particular state just because you have uh, you know you're building uh, aircraft there, for example, or ships or whatever it happens to be. Uh, but on the other hand, if there's a national crisis, the Secretary of Defense is going to have to rise above that. It is going to have to be the person uh, that the country turns to and the president turns to uh, to lead the armed forces to to take care of that particular issue. And and that's uh, you know and usually of course that's an overseas issue, but but uh, that's the kind of thing where you have that unique combination of a political role as well as a. Um, a a supra political or above politics uh, leadership role, and that's uh, that's the kind of uh, balancing act that I think a Secretary of Defense will need to be able to fulfill. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because one of the things, regardless uh, of the situation in Iraq with the troops, when you look at it, that was a massive logistical assignment, 
And one of the things that we are now preparing as a nation and will continue uh, into the Biden administration is the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine because we have the first people, the healthcare, frontline healthcare workers getting it and those in uh, long-term health facilities like nursing home or residential facilities like nursing homes. We have many people to go um, all the way down the line until we get, if we, hopefully, the majority of our nation vaccinated. Um, and he also has been involved in national security briefings. And I think people forget that not only the massive logistical uh, to, what is challenges that come mm -hmm. with distributing the COVID-19 vaccine, but in addition to that, how this kind of stuff could be a, a national security risk, uh, maybe people would look at this general and this nomination uh, in a different light because he is up for that task. He certainly is up for that job and he has proven himself um, you know, historically in his own career to be able to do that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you look at the withdrawal from Iraq, you, you're right, that was a massive logistical challenge. And, you know, frankly, if we're going to be leaving uh, certain parts of the world, uh, you know, to end the so-called forever wars, uh, that logistical uh, uh, talent needs to be brought to bear there. But you're definitely right about it being very important uh, for the COVID-19 vaccine distribution issues. And there's uh, no organization that is better poised to help the United States, to help the people of the United States than the U.S. military when it comes to uh, logistics of that type. And, you know, someone who has experience with these kinds of things at various levels, like General Austin, could very well be the ideal candidates for that specific task. Absolutely. Um, do you think the nomination process is going to be difficult? But let's just look at waiving. I mentioned Senator Jack Reed, who I know personally and I like very much. Uh, Senator Reed is a West Point graduate. He's a former Army Ranger. Um, and he said when uh, retired General James Mattis was confirmed as Pentagon chief in 2017, quote, therefore, I will not support a waiver for future nominees. He can't support a waiver for um, General Austin because he will look like a hypocrite, truly. And then again, there's so many people out there, especially, I'm sorry, on the right in politics that, uh, you know, Lindsey Graham, right? You know, you can have my word, you know, play this so my words will come back and everybody played it, his words came back and he didn't care and, you know, we continue on. Um, yeah. But there have been conversations and consultations with lawmakers on this waiver issue. Um, the transition team, the president-elect is aware that it's a hurdle they need to clear. Um, will it be difficult for the general to get the waiver? Will it also be difficult for the general to get the confirmation? I want to add one more thing. He is the first African-American being put forth for this. And I know people say, well, you shouldn't look at the person's skin color. You look at the qualifications. Absolutely. But when you have a president-elect trying to put forth leaders of diversity and who are African-American, we haven't seen someone African-American before in that position, or Latino, um, uh, like you have uh, Xavier Bercetta, the uh, attorney general of the state uh, of California um, for Health and Human Services um, secretary. When you have people like this coming forth, don't politicians on both sides of the aisle, but especially Republicans who are pushing right back even more so, don't they have to be delicate because this could offend large portions uh, demographically of um, our, our, our voter bases? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, not only the voter base, which is absolutely the critical element in, in a confirmation uh, hearing or a confirmation process, but also think about this. The United States military is made up of about 40 percent minority individuals. 
So think, uh, you know, if you have the top leadership uh, looking different than uh, the rank and file, or at least a major portion of the rank and file of the military, that's a problem. And, uh, you know, so from a military perspective, you want to have at least some of the leaders look like the troops. Uh, and then when you have an opportunity like this, where you have a qualified African-American individual who could very well handle the rigors of being Secretary of Defense, uh, you would be put in a very difficult position if, on the one hand, you're championing uh, Black Lives Matter, for example, or uh, racial equality in general, uh, and then all of a sudden you come against uh, this particular individual when you have a chance to approve somebody like that. So, uh, you know, it is a balancing act, certainly for the incoming Biden administration, but it's also a balancing act uh, for all of these politicians, you know, in the Senate who are looking at this, and, you know, whether it's Senator Reid or or you know, any of the others, uh, they have to really look in their heart of hearts uh, saying, okay, do does the greater good outweigh uh, some of the things that I've said before about uh, the waiver for a, a former military person being Secretary of Defense? So it's a it's a tough call, uh, you know, the the uh, finger pointing, uh, you know, especially when it comes to hypocrisy uh, will be there regardless whether it's justified or not. Uh, but uh, sometimes, uh, you know, people will have to rise above that and look at the person's qualifications. I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we have to also look at, Leslie, is the fact that uh, the National Security Act of 1947, which stipulates that seven year time requirement, uh, you know, is seven years really the right amount of time? Could it be short? Should it be longer? Probably not. Um, but, uh, you know, if maybe you did five years or four years, uh, that might be a little bit better because you have a very unique talent pool in the military and you yeah. don't want to lose that regardless of, you know, who the individual is or what race that, that individual is. You want the talent and you want it, you want it as quickly as you can get it. In less than 60 seconds, just briefly, when Donald Trump walked from the White House to St. John's Church in Washington, D.C., and the National Guard cleared the area of protesters. Did that put forth in the minds of Americans, Democrat and Republican, that there was military manhandling and we can't have military leading what should be a civilian post like this post uh, going forward? I think that was certainly a, an optical problem. You know, of course, after uh, the St. John's uh, movement occurred, uh, they, you know, with President Trump, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, who was vi very visible in that uh, entourage of people surrounding the president, um, he apologized for that. And he knew that he was wrong and shouldn't have done that, as, especially as the number one military person in the U.S. Uh, I think it is a problem, uh, certainly one of perception, the National Guard or any other military person should never have been used for that particular purpose. Uh, and I think under the Biden administration, my suspicion is, is that it uh, that this type of stuff won't happen, uh, but it should never have happened. And it could potentially po uh, pose a problem for General Austin, but I think he will overcome it because, well, frankly, he wasn't there. So he wasn't specifically one of those individuals, but there's also that representational issue and you have to make sure that the military is absolutely subservient to civilian authority here in the United States. Well, there are so many great people that have been in the military, like yourself, Colonel. I appreciate you being on the show today.
You take COVID seriously, but being safe isn't always comfortable. That's why we started MaskLink. MaskLink with a Y. Each stylish designer mask features eco-dry fabric to cool your face and features high-Q ViroBlock technology, making MaskLink 99.997% effective at reducing the risk of COVID. Order at MaskLink.com. That's M-A-S-K-L-Y-N-K.com. Order now with code FAM30 to save up to 30%. FAM 3-0, short for family. F-A-M as in Mary, 3-0. I'm here with David Lorenz from MEDC and Pure Michigan to discuss how we can safely support local businesses when they need us the most. David, small businesses all across the state have been hit so hard during this pandemic crisis. What do we need to do to help them turn around? We just need to support them. And that means being more intentional about the type of purchases we make, about what we do when it comes to eating or traveling. Let's talk about safety issues. How can we make sure that we're safe and still support small businesses? If you go to michigan.org, the top of the page, you'll see a link that says travel safely in Michigan. Read the Pure Michigan Pledge. It'll give you all the information you need. You know that one in five jobs in Michigan is in retail. If we were to take one in 10 of our out-of-state purchases, and if we then convert that to a local purchase, we can generate over a billion dollars in economic activity in Michigan. The MEDC has a website and it has plenty of ideas on how to support local retailers and restaurants. Go to michigan.org forward slash support local to learn more.